You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable and fixed blade knives and game processing kits. Now, in my bag this year, I had the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit. It comes in a very compact, handy carrying case, and one handle has the replaceable blade knife and the gutting blade. The other handle has the saw that comes with it. So, I use the saw to split the pelvis, and I use the gut hook to open up the cavity and the blade to start cutting all the stuff out, right? So uh, it makes cleaning a deer very simple, very easy, and the the knife is sharp. And uh, if you've ever had to gut a deer with a dull knife, we all know how much that sucks. So um, take a look at the Razor Pro Saw Combo Kit and uh, head on over to OutdoorEdge.com and enter the discount code NATION30. That's NATION30 for 30% savings on your purchase. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith and Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Alrighty, guys, welcome back to another Land and Legacy podcast. This is your host, Matt Dye, and I'm excited because I'm sitting here in the office this morning kind of watching the sunrise on a beautiful spring morning, and the sun's just coming up, and I've got... Kyle Hedges on the line with me, and we're just reminiscing about spring mornings, Easter feasts, and spring turkey hunting, and it is just around the corner for us, so we're pumped. Kyle, how are you doing this morning? Yep, doing good. Good. Excited. Gonna be, I'll be hunting before you, so hopefully I'll be sending pictures from Kansas rubbing <laughs> it in your face. So. <laughs> Actually, I forgot. You know, you you will be hunting before me in Missouri, but I may have the opportunity. I've got a I'm going back to visit um family and work in Virginia in the coming weeks and nice. I I will be see Virginia opens up like the tenth or eleventh and I'll be there then. So I might have oh. the opportunity to at least tag along or I might buy a tag. We'll see how things are looking, how the weather looks, but um yeah, I, I may be right there with you that same week. Yeah, it'd be awesome. See, I got all cocky, and then you're going to be rubbing it in my face <laughs> from Virginia. Hey, that's all right. If you kill a bird and I kill a bird, that's totally fine. Totally that's fine. all good. That's right. Man, I I'm, I really I am excited for turkey season. This is kind of the times of the year where it, everything just, and I wouldn't say it slows down, but we just take a little bit of time to make sure we can go and catch a breath and, and uh, chase this awesome and amazing bird that gives us the thrills. But you know, today's podcast, we're going to be talking about a, a type of habitat management that is, um, you mentioned it earlier, is extremely intentional um, for a specific reason, but has a lot of crossover into hunting strategies, though, too, for 
wild turkeys during the spring based on their behavior that is consistent from year to year to year to year. So, Kyle, why don't you talk us through you know, this, this week's podcast and how we've utilized, whether it's recommended on consultations or, or seen on our um, own observations on our own properties and, and the techniques we're using to almost pinpoint after a bird flies down what it's doing, where it's going to. Yeah, so today, you know, we're going to talk about strut zones, and and turkeys are unique in the sense that most species we don't have to provide this one specific window of, uh, you know, that that fits their behavior. Um, We don't have to do anything special for quail breeding season. Sure, they need nesting cover. Of course, we need that for turkeys, but... As far as calling mates and doing that, you know, quail figure it out. Deer, we don't have to do anything specific for the rut. Yes, we make bedding zones, but that's for year round. Mm-hmm. Um, we may use that for hunting strategy as well. But turkeys are pretty unique <clears throat> with this strutting behavior. And they have to have some type of habitat or lack thereof, I guess, and not lack thereof, but lack thereof. Um, you know, taller vegetation. They needed uh-huh. this open space to be able to go strut around. Um, and that can be a lot of things that can be in a lot of places. And we're going to go through some of that today here, but um, you know, they got to be visible to the hens. They got to feel like they can be seen and, and move around in the open. And it has to be reasonably close to where they're roosting. You know, if, if we're installing strut zones, or prescribing them for somebody to, to put in and in the known roost or whatever, depends on the property. Maybe you got four known roosts, but, you know, putting a strut zone 400 yards from the, the known sycamore that they roost on every night, that probably doesn't make a lot of sense. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean it might not get, it might get used at one o'clock in the afternoon sometimes. Sure. But, there's a lot of strategy into kind of where these are going on the farm and, and also what vegetation is around them, what's nearby, Mm -hmm. where's the potential nesting cover, same deal. If we've got a strut zone, that's probably where they're going to, where they're going to be the first thing in the morning. And if the nearest nesting cover is half mile away, well, that's, we probably need to work on nesting cover on this farm in the first place. <laughs> good, good first point. <laughs> I mean, right. So, you know, there's, there's lots of things to consider here and lots of ways to skin a cat. We can get mm-hmm. these strut zones put in with a lot of different techniques. And, and we've used a lot of those techniques and prescribed those to landowners. And that's the cool part about, um, I, I don't want to say that it's, it, it shouldn't be well thought out because it is an, it is an intentional practice to be used. But what what really just needs to occur, and again, there's a lot of ways to make this happen, but in most places, um, the starting game is we need a reduction of that vegetation and structure within a given area that, that birds would likely want to frequent and and show off. I think if people go back, they've been following along with this Wild Turkey podcast series, some of the first ones that we did, um, we were talking with, with Frank and the exploded lek or expanded lek theory 
with turkeys. They were, they were these areas that they frequented, strutted, and gobbled from, tried to attract hens to. This is a kind of what we're trying to, to bring together from the research side of things and then into the hunting realm of we can essentially, if we think them through and understand how the bird works with topography, uses natural resources, we can almost pinpoint where these locations should be and then create them with means of mowing. Obviously, that's not as highly preferred as disking or prescribed fire, but still, for this type of practice, if you're in a pasture and it gets too tall, well, sure, you can just go mow it. I don't suggest that you go and spray a a, a farm's pasture out to create one of these but you know every situation has its ability to um, manipulate it and create a better strut zone for wild turkeys yeah you bet and i'll name one more and that's food plots lots Uh of times our food plots that we're using maybe they are for turkeys maybe they're for deer maybe it's a combination maybe it's going to be for poults and stuff but the right type of food plot planted at the right time or the right um, vegetation types planted can be great strut zones without but a doubt. timing plays into it too um, let me just give an example of you know wheat lots of times or maybe the legacy blend or something mm-hmm. like that you know it's got wheat oats rice and clover um, my kansas farm uh, first thing in the morning last year opening day right into a legacy plot here comes two gobblers comes right to the you know half strut decoy and a hen Mm. i mean just textbook this stuff is is ankle high yep well and so it worked great my buddy kills one of the gobblers well that's you know season open over there Uh, this year it opens april 14th yep well if i'm flash forward (laughs) yeah maybe i don't get to hunt I'm a guy that says, hey, I don't get to hunt till after Mother's Day for some reason. Mm-hmm. And I'm in Kansas or Oklahoma or Arkansas, and I want to hunt. I think, oh, I'm going to plant this wheat plot or this legacy blend, and it'll be for a strut zone. It'll be great for fall you know, deer hunting, and it'll be my strut zone in the spring. Well, if you're not hunting till mid-May, it ain't going to work because it's going right. to be thigh high. That's right. <laughs> and the birds aren't going to want to use it. So timing is important too. We need to understand where we're at in the universe, the the growth rate of stuff and, and understand that these birds will use certain fields, but then abandon them when they get too tall, <clears throat> you know, they got dew on them. They don't want to get uh-huh. their feathers wet in the morning. That's just not, not what they're looking for. So they're going to move on to something different. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why understanding just the bird itself first and foremost, allows you to then build out what the habitat is. And that's essentially what we do every single day. We're just going very specific into strut zone management. But but take a a, a cool season grass pasture, for, for that matter. Let's say cows aren't in it and they're not grazing. Let's say you know it's a rotationally grazed farm. We see this very often. Uh, birds um, will essentially, they will maneuver around and utilize pastures that cows have just been in because they've grazed it off 
And now they'll get to get in there right after um, fly down and utilize that field. They may be going through, scratching through cow pies, turning them over, um, getting fly larvae, whatever the case may be. But but take a pasture field April 20th and compare it to the third or you know last weekend of Missouri season. And, and they're not going to be in there if cows haven't grazed it because going back to like what you talked about with wheat, it goes through a bolt stage. And it puts on two, three foot worth of growth in that time frame and heads out. You get soaking, sopping wet when you try and walk through that first thing in the morning. And it's probably not, based on then the structure, an area where that bird can go and strut easily, maneuver through it, and be seen. It, there, there's, there's a very um, important visual composition to making this whole thing work as well as vocal they need to be heard so topography plays into it but they they need to be seen too because they're doing an intentional act they are displaying themselves so you can't have this just three four foot tall worth of growth and say well i've got an opening you know the opening needs to be open to a certain extent throughout the entire season if you want to be utilized as a strut zone. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, if you're, let's say you're not hunting later in the season, you already know, you know, my, well, God willing, my Kansas trip, you know, <laughs> I go hunt the front the front part of the season and, mm-hmm. and hopefully that's it. Um, right. You know, they're down to one bird limit. So mm-hmm. if, uh, if I kill a bird, that I'm not going to be hunting later in the season. Sure. So I don't care if – a certain specific strut zone of my property has, has grown up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now the birds do though. Right. Um, so even biology wise, do I want to keep them on my farm? Mm-hmm. I need to be thinking about other mm-hmm. things too. Like, you know, okay. When the legacy blend gets too tall, where are these birds going to go? I always have birds on this Northeast corner of this farm. Right. So, so where are they going to go? Can I make something that'll be a, a secondary, you know, second half of the season strut zone over there yep. um, with fire, with, you know, whatever technique I need to do. You, um, you may choose in a food plot situation to terminate that food plot a little bit earlier than you what you normally would um, for, for planting purposes to then kind of kill two birds, <laughs> get it, with one stone <laughs> and and terminate that plot a little early before it gets to an incredible bolting stage. And now they can utilize it throughout the whole season and be utilizing as a strut zone, maybe increase, you know, the, the reproduction rate. Who, who knows? I mean, th- that that's kind of an ex- extended thought there. But, like, yep. they're, they're going to figure out a way to strut and display whether you have a, a food plot sprayed off or not. They're going to do it in the timber, what have you. But it just allows the bird to do what it does naturally without complications or without which which seems silly but why would we want the habitat to interfere with you know a, a natural process the birds need needs to go through to create more turkeys <laughs> that that should be a sign if you're having birds leave a farm and I've hunted I can think of several farms in the past 5 years specifically one down in in Oklahoma we then we followed up and made this recommendation to the landowner but you need to create these openings if you want birds later in the season 
if you're not specifically managing for them and you don't have this type of habitat. We have seen birds leave farms and not just small farms, but larger farms. It was a large wintering area and and we were very excited to see um, they're here, the landowner talk about gobs of turkey, not even flocks, but just gobs. And um, by the time we got there, there was a considerable amount of growth um, in, in food plots as well in some of the, the native areas. And um, there just was not this opportunity for birds to get in and strut. And then even in the bottomland timber, based on the amount of cool season grasses, it was head high for a turkey by the time we got there. And that's fantastic for that system to be operating like that. But specifically, if if you wanted to kill turkeys, it just needed to be managed slightly different. And so we had also prescribed to this landowner, for, from a purpose of, of deer hunting and land management, large, large areas of, of some overgrown, thick, rank Bermuda pastures. And they needed to be sprayed off. And then now they're lightly disked in certain areas for for these strut zones. And so just in, in a matter of a year changing and switching, now we've got the opportunity for, for, for strut zones. And, and we're hopeful. I got some pictures the other day and heard of the, the number of turkeys that were still wintering and hanging on to this farm um, because of some of the practices that, that, that were done. So lightly disked, burn some of those off after initially going into spraying. Um, some of the rank and overgrown Bermuda. And I, I know Bermuda really is short, but there was a lot of other things mixed in, herbaceous weeds coming through. So it really was not a wonderful strut zone area for turkeys adjacent to common roost sites. So I don't want people to be confused there, but um, it all all to say, if you don't have what they need, sometimes they will leave for sure. Especially in your case there, um, Kyle, you know, being in the very northeast corner, they pitched down the wrong way on, on that farm. They could be on their neighbors. Yep, I've seen that over the years, you know, off and on quite a bit. And sometimes, regardless of what I do, they're spending some time. So, you know, it depends on they make the daily loop, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whether they start out south or start out north, I'll have them on me at some point each day. <laughs> sure, it's just a matter of whether they come north or south first. But, um, you know. Uh, something else folks need to think about this this whole we're talking about these strut zones the size yeah it's not you know this doesn't have to be acres and acres in fact i don't necessarily mm-hmm. want it to be that big yeah um it it depends sometimes it is uh, if i go burn a you know again well a couple different farms in kansas i burned this year some several different fields mm-hmm. so in some cases yeah uh, i mean there's a 20 acre strut zone because i burned off a 20 acre crp field um but if i'm intentionally installing these somewhere i mean we're only talking an acre but half an acre maybe i mean it doesn't have to be anything huge you know a football field is an acre so i'm not talking about something gigantic and in fact the bigger you get the harder it is to hunt to be honest with you so (laughs) and and that's where this this strategy it needs to be in place and not take up too much space at the same time because if you're trying to utilize it as a hunting strategy you still want to find that success rate in there right well and a lot of times so a lot of what we're going to prescribe to to folks and and what we do prescribe the strut zones 
are a byproduct. It's not even intentional. So, hey, you're on this burn rotation. So let's say, you know, let's say you got three different fields and on a 200 acre farm. Um, I'm going to mix it up more than that. We're going to have six different. We have three open fields, but we probably have six burn units. You know, burn half of this field one one year and and half a field two another year and half a field three another year and then the other halves you know we're going to mix those things around um so as a byproduct we're going to have this depending on where you live in the country you know um what timing of the burning further south you are obviously you're going to have to burn burn earlier Mm -hmm. for for turkeys to be strutting in it but also because of green up and things but it becomes a byproduct and and for for my own farms that happens anyway uh, a lot of my strutting areas is just a byproduct of what i'm already doing right um, but i but i think about the rotation as i'm doing that certainly you know i have birds on the northeast corner i just gave an example of well i also have some on this same farm there'll be some strung out in between just depends on the year but i always have some in the northeast corner and i always have some on the very western fence line mm-hmm. and they're usually there's a giant sycamore it's on the neighbor good neighbor so you know no big deal but he has a field that he mows the tip of over there every year for a strut zone <laughs> yeah. well my side of the fence is a crp field sure. so i have the the better nesting cover mm-hmm. but not exactly you know birds aren't looking to come strut out there sure. so if I ever want any chance at those birds, I have to do something intentional over there. Well, every third year, that field's burn. I burn that field. Mm-hmm. So one out of three years, the stage is already set. Yep. You know, I've got the strut zone, so I can compete and get those birds on my side of the fence part of the season. But the other two out of three years, I have to do something. I have to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, in this particular case, no, neither here nor there, but it's, you know, it's across the creek. A food plot's not an option or hasn't been just the pain. The creek's yep. up sometimes, can't deal with it. So typically it's just, I mow out a little spot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we both are offering a similar type thing. Sure. Um, I usually have more nesting birds. I have better nesting cover than my neighbor does. So, you know, it just becomes a game of uh, kind of competing for the same birds a little bit. Sure. And there's nothing wrong with that. In no. fact, I'd prefer they stay on me more than, um, you know, going to the north or to the east, uh, to mm-hmm. the west. I, I know this landowner, but the other places, I don't know who all's hunting there. Um, it's another, you know, this is in Kansas. I don't live over there. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to be a little greedy and try to keep <laughs> birds on me as much as possible. And especially yeah. with, you know, populations that are struggling a little bit. I mean, sure. if I can... If I can keep more birds on me longer, then maybe more of them make it to next year. And, right, right. Um, you, you, because you know the hunting pressure that's on your place. That's like right. It, it's it's a little bit of an unknown on some of your some of their neighboring ground. Um, so you know that's only that's only natural. But again, we're we're doing this from a from a double edged sword sort of thing from the hunting strategy. But this is the aspect that I really really like when it comes to creating these stretch zones um, and where there's an extreme overlap for, you know, um, habitat um, for white-tailed deer. Because when, if you take, let's just say you've got a food plot 
you've got old field management, or you've got CRP. Really, no matter how you shake it, whatever your tool or technique that you're utilizing in those systems to create a strut zone, something's growing back. Or you're planting something back in a food plot situation that then is still going to be high-quality forage. But you're you're creating diversity within an existing system if you don't, for like your instance, the CRP, you're taking a chunk out of it and mowing yep. it. Well, guess what? Now we've got multiple stages of regrowth structure in that area. They can come utilize it, um, you know, navigate through it relatively easily. And, and once it begins to grow back, now we've got different stages of that growth for either brood rearing or different stages for nesting cover. And I think of old field management um, as a wonderful opportunity for creating strut zones, but then having in that exact same strut zone, you wait, you know, let's just say early June, July timeframe. That area is, is incredibly rich with diversity, lots of forbs. So we're going to naturally see a higher density of insects in there. So not only have we created a strut zone for, for turkey season, but then we've also created wonderful brood rearing habitat in an area that, you know, I'm air quoting is, is, is for deer, but that deer food is now younger at the same time. It can be also utilized for dropping fawns. And so, there's this mixture of where all these wildlife species kind of overlap and in, in their whether it's nutritional needs or requirements or their cover needs. And so we've created a lot of different things by intentionally going in and creating a strut zone, depending on, again, which type of habitat you're starting with. But you're doing multiple things as you're creating, keyword again, diversity within a diverse system, specifically old field management. Hopefully it's very rich with lots of different species, but then we're, we're changing the composition and we're changing the structure of it and the timing of, of uh, how we're disturbing it to create hunting as well as good habitat. To me, that's hard to beat. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, the back to the pun intended, you're killing two birds with one stone. I mean, you're yeah. getting the best of both worlds out of this. Um, it, you know, there's a, a this popped in my head, something we need to mention, too. Uh -huh. So um, sometimes we can pull off a strut zone with no management, uh -huh. an intentional kind of dead spot. And this is this is going to seem counterintuitive to everything we preach, but you, everyone knows that Land and Legacy is anti-closed canopy forest, right? <laughs> <laughs> like you've got to get in there and do something. But again, yeah. remember, we're talking about what size. Yes. We're not talking yes. about, you know, 50-acre strut zone here. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, if you're a listener, well, even in the Midwest where your farm is, is broken up with open fields and, and timber, or maybe you're in one of these states, you know, where, hey, my, my whole farm is timber. These guys are talking about strut zones. And, yep. Well, guess what? Everybody knows plenty of people kill turkeys that, and, that never come out of the timber, yep. right? They strut all morning in the timber. 
Well, again, that can be intentional. If we think about it, we need to be thinking about what we're doing to our timber. Um, open timber is a great strut zone. It's yep. wide open. Um, having some herbaceous, hopefully if, if this, you know, you need to do some timber management because there's got to be a purpose for the hens to want to hang around. Certainly. If this gobbler, yeah, it's great for him to strut, but if there's no reason for a hen to be there picking bugs or picking seeds or whatever, you know, is out, if, it, if it's warm enough that the bugs are already out, that's what the hens are going to be picking. If there's no food for the hens, they're not hanging out there no. and he's not using that strut zone. So we need some level of food around this, at least on the edges of this strut zone or something. But I'm picturing here, you know, a big timber unit that somebody's listened to the podcast enough and said, by God, I'm tired of this timber. I can see a hundred yards through and I'm going to do something about it. And that's great. And you go in and you run a bunch of, you know, tanks of saw gas and, and run fires through there. And we've got this great herbaceous layer going and, and things are going great. Um, but you need to consider where my turkey's going to strut. If they're normally in that piece of timber, you're going to have to have something that they can be open, move around. We need to consider that. So do you leave out a little, you know, some little half acre spots here and there that maybe you leave more open or again, maybe it's burn timing. So it's okay. Um, some years, um, but all that stuff needs to be considered when we're, when we're thinking about this and then location too, right? I don't want to just, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to leave a little piece of closed canopy timber on a, you know, 20 degree North slope. Well, that's not where the turkeys are going to strip, <laughs> right? I either want it on a ridge top, their turkeys are going to like to be on there or yep. a bench. How many times have you seen turkeys, especially riparian zones mm-hmm. where they're on that middle bench and they'll strut just back and forth, back yes. and forth. They're not up on the ridge. They're not clear down on the bottom necessarily. They get on that middle bench. Um, so just, you know, think about turkey behavior and hopefully it's on a farms where you already kind of know where turkeys have used in the past. But if future management like timber management is going to jeopardize some of that, then you may need to think about how you can strategically leave a few spots for turkeys. Yeah. To it. And I think <clears throat> it, it, there's fantastic points. And some sometimes we go back to the, the scale conversation. Um, guys, take a backpack blower in. In the dormant season, blow off put fire lines in in the middle of the timber on a ridge top maybe maybe you've got birds that always roost out on this one point sometimes they pitch down on the ridge top and work the ridge top strut back and forth or sometimes you feel like whenever you call they pitch down into the bottom and <laughs> they go the other way pre-season it, it, you know if whatever timber the, it there is go in there Blast out fire lines in an acre on that ridgetop somewhere where you can access very cleanly. And naturally, that bird is going to want to be on that that area, that ridgetop, for, for a strut zone and for gobbling purposes. But go in there, burn off an acre. Burn off maybe tops two acres. It does not have to be even a half acre. It does not have to be this large, giant, you know, area. I, I think of some, some areas... Uh, Let's let's go to, gosh, let's just take Virginia, North Carolina, for for example. 
sometimes in that timber, you've got big, tall roost trees, but your your mid-story is so dense, chock full. Let's just say American holly is coming there. We'll go in there, remove the mid-story, and come back, burn that unit half acre, acre in size pre-season, and go kill birds on it. Just do, just do you know, uh, a fly-down call, scratching the leaves, and call it done. Don't have to call that bird, but <laughs> but make make a focal point in this area that is, um, you know, vastly closed canopy. It's homogenous. It's offering the same thing, and change that ability for it to come and strut and be seen. Because again, removing the holly, you're giving the the visual aspect can be seen from a, a larger distance. But then removing the leaf litter, now we're changing the forage or the ability um, for a bird to go in there and forage. During season, um, hens will be attracted to that area, so therefore gobblers will be attracted to that area. And it doesn't have to be part of a 50-acre burn unit. If you're scared to burn, create really good fire breaks and start small. But do it in specific areas that you're going to have birds come into. Yeah, sure, we don't may not want large areas of, of closed canopy forest, but I think of some of the areas um, that I was killing turkeys in, when I was growing up, it was wonderful, beautiful hardwoods, and um, those are great mass-producing areas for for deer. And let's say October that I was hunting them in, birds were in there because they could be seen and and um, cast out their their gobbles from a long distance away. But I could have easily gone in and, and burned off a little section in there and made it just that much more consistent of bird let's say, behavior and routine, what they were doing as they went to the limb at night and then as soon as they pitched down, where they were headed to. Oh, you bet. And, man, the fire deal is is a real kicker. If there's if I have a chance of sitting in a piece of burnt timber or a piece of unburned timber, even if the unburned timber is typically where the birds want to, you know, let's say I'm only 100 yards difference here. Yeah. Eh, usually they want to strut over there but I burned this half of the timber. I can assure you I'm sitting in the burn half. <laughs> and research shows that mm-hmm. you talked on the podcast, I think with Dr. Chamberlain. Talked, right. I mean, they're picking burnt bugs and just whether the burn was last week or, or three weeks ago, if yeah. it's, you know, several weeks ago, the new growth is coming. They're picking shoots of stuff, it, green it shoots. There's, end. There's bugs on the new growth, and same way with a field. If I've got a choice of a, you know, hunting a, a mowed field or a hay field or something versus a burnt field, I'm taking the burnt field every time. Absolutely. Um, I have killed birds where there was still logs and sticks smoking in the woods mm-hmm. um, from a burn, you know, a couple days before. Yeah. And sitting there, uh, you'll get your turkey hunting clothes pretty filthy. Don't come home and sit on your wife's couch or anything, but other than that, it's, <laughs> and you don't get covered in as many ticks while you're turkey hunting either. That's exactly right. Burn unit. So yeah, when there's lots of wins with this. Yeah. It's just, we, we don't have to complicate things when we're creating strut zones. We just need to be, we just need to use a little bit of our woodsmanship skills to know where birds have frequently frequented in years past and, and where birds typically are think, think about this if if every season you're thinking or you, you're hearing birds gobble at like 
8.30 to 10.30 in the morning every single day in one specific spot, or you commonly strike birds up there during those time frames, I'm going to be keen into a location like that and say, why are they selecting that? What what are they going there for? Typically, that time of the day, they're trying to be they're trying to strut or they're trying to gobble up another hen. So I'm like, that's an area I want to check out. What can I do there? And depending on if it's timber or if it's an open field or a food plot, I want to manipulate it ahead of season to make sure that I've got great strutting locations and and maybe I can create decent nesting cover or great brooding cover as the year progresses, as spring moves into summer. So I'm going to take that, that, um, that idea of creating strut zones and say, how can I, how can I manipulate it? Which, which technique is the best burning, um, mowing or herbicide? What, what can I do here to, to make this the best for strutting and then therefore, um, brooding cover, nesting cover later in the year. So I just, I know someone's thinking like distance wise from a roost to a strut zone. What would you think, Kyle, would be ideal distance that you wouldn't, let's say, you wouldn't want to be this close, but you wouldn't want to be this far away? If if someone was like, they roost here, man, like it's just routine. It's just all the time. I would prefer to be within, you know, a couple hundred yards. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily, uh, I've got a situation on, on a farm that sometimes works out to where, in fact, a burn I just did the other day may cause this to happen, but sometimes it's sail off the limb and land in my strut zone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. It's hard, makes it harder to hunt. I don't mm-hmm. want it 45 yards from right. the limb they're sitting on, but. Sometimes it's going to be that way, but mm-hmm. no, I, I would think, you know, a hundred, 200 yards is, is ideal range. They, yeah. they fly down, work their way over to it, and then they're going to be strutting there. You get 400 plus. I, a lot you know, of hands, a lot of hands can come in between a goblin and Tom yeah. <laughs> between when he flies down from the roost and gets to that strut zone. Yeah. That's yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on and, and what are they going to have to go through oh, yeah. across that 400 yards? I mean, if it's a Great heavy point. dew morning and they got to work, if it's open timber, maybe not that big a deal. They may kind of be strutting or maybe just be a, a continuous strut zone and they work their way over to this little clover plot or whatever it is. But, if it's, you know, if I got a CRP field between where they're roosting and they're, eh, that's a, and it hasn't been burned, I'm in mm-hmm. trouble. They're mm-hmm. just not going to wade through. Or big duty. creek crossing or something like that. Yeah, well. right. So, yeah. And, yeah, I, I think distance does matter. And, and hey, there's nothing, you know, some folks, you're just going to have to try some stuff too, yeah. right? If you're on a farm, hey, I just bought this farm. I'm not sure. I don't know where the birds are hanging out. Well, spend a couple years paying attention, but try some stuff. This mm-hmm. isn't stuff that's going to be like irreversible. Oh my gosh, no. I ruined the farm. No, you know, yep. you you try a few things. Say, well, that didn't work, or this did work, or I mean, that's how we learn a lot of this stuff uh, over time on a farm. You just got to try some different stuff. You do, you do, and that, that's where I think it, it's important. Whatever, you, whatever your you know type of technique, um, or whatever area you're starting with think through which technique is going to give me the response that I need. So that reduction of structure, but then the increase in um, forage capability, because 
just as much as we're calling it a strut zone, during turkey season, the more food that you can create from a attraction of the hens, you're going to create more opportunities and, and a, more, a, a higher likelihood that, that the gobbler is going to be coming in there and checking those areas too. Almost like uh, a food plot when a buck comes in and checks during um, November. Like if that's an area where birds are frequenting, well, they're going to come and check. And then they're going to be more likely in a scenario standpoint for a bird to be calling you as a hunter, mimicking a hen to say, you know what, that that is a good spot. I'm going to go there. I'm going to check it out. There probably is a hen now, that's a lot for a turkey to think through, and I don't think they quite think that far in advance. However, you're creating a situation or a scenario that is that is probable. And I think that's important to to remember when you're calling to a turkey is, does this make sense? And that's where, Kyle, you just were talking about, what is it that he has to cross from where he's gobbling at to get to this area? Does it make sense for a turkey to be able to traverse that? Um, in this type of situation where their their senses, let's say, are probably heightened. Um, let's just create this scenario that, again, high frequency of, of birds utilizing it, or it's an area where they want to come in and check. I want to create that. So pick your disturbance wisely, try it out, give it a whirl, see what happens. You bet. Hey, you just hit on you know one last thing, mm-hmm. one last point that popped in my head here. You You mentioned that what the hens are picking on and and eating there well we always preach diversity and this is yet another example yeah um especially in a food plot situation if you got the option of planting wheat in the fall and that's going to be hey that'll be a great strut zone eh, that'll work a lot of times but if i can plant uh you know a 10 species mix Mm -hmm. uh, i'm going to do that every time because now i've got lots of different bug types that are going to be in that in the spring way more chances that the hens are going to be picking around in there rather than just straight wheat Um, think about things like that too so diversity matters even in the open field like what do i have coming up is it just grass is it grass and forbs because that's what's going to be feeding the hens and that's why they're going to be hanging around there and that's where the gobbler wants to be yeah and and, you know you mentioned the legacy blend earlier that's a high species blend and you know we think about the growth rates in that you're you're going through a you know many of the the cereal grains you're going from a blade stage to a bolting head stage throughout turkey season yet you've got a lot of annual clovers that in in late april through may june the frosty bursine the balanza those things are 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 heading out and putting on a flower attracting an immense amount of of insect life there so so maybe in that situation if you have that high high diverse blend it may not be best to terminate because you know that it's going to be a brooding area in the in the weeks to come um or just have that much more uh leafy green forage maybe the best thing for you to do is as it bolts go in there and just clip it hit the top of it off because you're going to have this, you know, two foot more growth worth of, of uh, the triticale, the wheat, the oats in there as it's putting its seed head on. Yet underneath of all that, where you want birds to be feel comfortable strutting in and feeding in, that's what's, that's what's attracting those birds at that time frame. So again, just think through that disturbance that you're utilizing. It may not be best to go and terminate early, depending on the species that you've planted and what's 
offered, you know, not only now, but in the weeks to come too. That's where it's important to say, what are your goals when you're playing a food plot? What are you trying to do? Who is that going to serve? And then that allows you to make that determination of what's my best disturbance moving forward. And then again, timing as well. A lot in that, but these are the questions as a hunter or as a land manager, when you are working the land that you should be asking yourself, it's not just, oh, I'm just going to go plant some stuff. I'm just going to go plant a food plot. Well, what's the goal? What's the purpose? Who are you trying to serve by, you know, giving your time, giving your weekend to to the land, essentially? What are you trying to accomplish here? And I think that when you when you begin to ask yourself those types of questions, your efficiency and probably proficiency of managing the land goes way up. Yep, absolutely. It is uh, it is a lot to think about, but it really doesn't have to be that complicated. It's just a different way of thinking. Absolutely, you need to be looking at looking at your property through a different set of eyes. Sometimes I think, um, um, and thinking about lots of different things and and. Just purposeful management in everything we do mm-hmm. is important. If you're ever sitting on the tractor on your property, just bumping along, you're just running the brush hog, and you can't answer, why am I doing this? <laughs> Shut <laughs> off the PTO. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and take the tractor back to the barn. <laughs> I mean, yes. More specifically, how is this going to benefit my wildlife and at what yeah. times a year? If you can't answer that or if it's, yeah, then shut it off. Exactly. Um, yeah, we need purposeful management. Without a doubt. Well, Kyle, I appreciate it, man. This was this yeah. was a fun a fun podcast. I'm glad you were able to uh, to jump on this early morning and um, talk turkey strut zones with everyone here. Um, best of luck to you in Kansas and Missouri this year. Yeah. Same to you. Yep. Thank um, you, sir. This this makes it way worse now. This all this talking about it. We gotta go get something done. Building the anticipation. Well, this afternoon I gotta drive to Mississippi and I know they're hot and heavy into to turkey hunting. Um but I'm working tomorrow. Maybe I'll get lucky enough to hear hear a bird gobble in the distance as as we're working, but um just a short, quick trip and then I'll be back up here and anxiously awaiting Missouri yeah. and Virginia. And I, I'm actually going to run to Kansas this year, too. Got a got an invite to go kind of north central. You're, you guys will be hearing more about that in the weeks to come. But, um, man, I'm I'm just excited. I'm ready. Yep. It is it is that time. And uh, just I actually slept with the windows open last night and woke up this morning. It was like, bird, the, man, those birds are just singing right now. And I love it. Yep, yep. Spring's here. It's, it's go time. It is go time. Well, sir. Take care. Thank you again for jumping on. Yep. We'll talk to you later. Yep.